Good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're just glad you're here, whether you're here physically in person or joining us online. You're, we're glad you're with us. This morning, if you could go ahead and uh, find a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 25. And I know what you're thinking. Um, I'm Jeff. Um, sir. Um, you said we were going to do Acts. Now, that's not Acts. That's Matthew. Well, I am aware. You see, there were actually two sermons prepared this week. One was Dave's sermon on Acts. And you might also have noticed that uh, Dave isn't actually here. <laughs> so he's, he's given me permission to share with you that his family uh, in this kind of last week has gotten COVID. And so they're, they're all at home uh, quarantining and, and resting. Um, I told him, that's okay. We don't, we don't want you to share your germs with us. Stay home. Um, but he, he wants you all to know they're doing okay. So far, it's been uh, pretty mild for, for COVID for them. Um, have, have had some, some of the normal uh, symptoms and things like that, but they're, they're doing fine and are, are resting and recovering and all that good stuff. Um, but if you could, just, just keep them in your prayers. That would be great. Um, and in general, for our church, this, this past week, praying through the prayer requests for everyone, I noticed a common theme of whether it was COVID or some other illness, just a lot of sickness going around in the, the church and our church family right now. So if you could just be praying for the Jacobsons, be praying for our church family for a protection and health and re- good recovery um, and, and healing, that would be great. So because of that, uh, Dave was preparing a message on Acts, and, and in his wisdom, Dave was kind of like, Jeff, you know, um, one, just one member of their, their family wasn't feeling well earlier in the week, and he said, you know, Jeff, just in case... Why don't, why don't you prepare a message, and then if, if I don't get sick, great. If I do get sick, well, then, then we'll have something. So here we are, the other message, uh, which I've titled, Stewarding the New Year. And so now we've gone from a one-off to a mini-series on, on the new year. And of course, to understand the title, to understand stewarding the new year, you have to understand, okay, what is stewardship? And as I was uh, thinking about how do I define, how do I explain stewardship for everyone? Of course, my mind went to the greatest film series of all time, The Lord of the Rings, right? And we know that's true if you've watched The Lord of the Rings, you, you just know watching it, I'm, I'm consuming a masterpiece. But if you, if you didn't know it, it objectively is also the best series of all time because it's the most awarded film series of all time. If you somehow don't know the story, uh, the main character... Uh, he's, he's given this, this big quest to destroy this evil object, and the circumstances surrounding that are, are horrible. you got the, the big bad guy who's trying to kind of take over the world, and he's doing it through war, and there's lots of suffering and evil in the world. And you come to a point in the first movie, or the first book, if that's your, if that's your preference, where this, this main character is kind of talking about this thing. He's, I wish I wasn't born into this time. I wish I didn't have these circumstances. I wish this task of saving the world hadn't come to me. I wish none of this had ever happened. And his wise friend Gandalf replies to him, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide 
is what to do with the time that is given to us. And that is essentially stewardship. God has given us everything we have, whether it's our time or our treasures or our talents. God has given us everything we have, and we don't get to choose our circumstances. We don't get to choose what God has given us. All we get to decide is what do we do with those things we have been given. Do I use those things for myself or for God? So that's the big idea this morning. If there was one takeaway that you got from this morning, it should be, I should use everything I have for God's glory. I should use everything I have to please God. That's our number one takeaway. But actually this morning, I've broken the message down to four principles of stewardship. I know, last week we had two points. This week we had four. Totally skipped over the normal three. So four principles of stewardship this morning. First one being, God owns everything, I own nothing. Second, God has given me responsibility over everything I have, and I can choose whether or not to use it to please God. Third, Jesus could come back at any time. And then fourth, when Jesus does come back, I will be called into account for what I did with what God gave me. So we'll dive into the passage again. It's going to be Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. But for now, let's pray and just ask for God for, for his help. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for those of us who are able to, to gather here in person. Thank you for the technology that lets us gather um, online. <clears throat> A lot of us are uh, sick, um, feeling under the weather, and, and they need your healing. And so we do pray for, not just for the Jacobsons, but our, our whole church family and, and the world in general, would you be um, working in their lives, healing them, um, protecting them from the worst of the symptoms. Be with us here this morning. Ultimately, in, in your wisdom, we, re, we were even talking about this before the service, in your wisdom, before the foundations of the world, you ordained that our church didn't need the next passage in Acts this week, we needed this message. And so I pray that you would use it to uh, your glory, to make us more like your son, and, and to um, grow us to be the, the church and, and strengthen the church that you've called us to be here in Madison. We pray all these things in the name of your son. Amen. Amen. So now... I'm going to read the passage again. Hopefully you found your way there by now. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14, going all the way to verse 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He would receive the five talents, went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of the servants returned to settle accounts with them, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your, your master. 
He also who had received the one talent came forward and saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This passage of scripture is called a parable. If you're not familiar with what a parable is, it's almost like a short story that's meant to either teach uh, a few different uh, lessons, we'd say, or help the listener remember those lessons. Many times, like in this case, there's a certain symbolism to the passage. And here, especially our task is who is the master representing and who is uh, the servants representing. There's a certain symbolism that isn't explicitly stated, but we uh, should be able to figure it out without too much trouble. Jesus is actually giving a series of parables in this chapter. So if you have your Bible open and you can look at the verses before it in in chapter 25, uh, it probably has a a heading, something like the parable of the ten virgins. That's another parable. Um, And that one ends with, uh, again, Jesus teaching, telling his audience, you are the ten virgins, and so you need to be ready for my return, or be returned for uh, Jesus' return. We also see in verse 1 that he introduces this whole section of parables by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he tells the, the two stories, right? So the, for the first parable was about what is the kingdom of heaven like, and the, the big lesson there was Uh, be ready for Christ's return. He could come back at any time. This one, uh, if you look at verse 14, it starts with, it will be like, and that it is again the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven will be like, and in this case, now that you you know, okay, I should be ready for Christ's return, what does it look like to be ready? What does readiness look like? And that's what this parable is about. So understanding that, Now I think we're more prepared to understand who the master is and who the servants are. So uh, who is the master? Sunday school answer, God, will will net you the correct answer in this case. Always a safe bet. (laughs) Um, And then who are the servants? It's us, right? might be most helpful to think of it just as, as people in general. You can think of Jesus' audience was a mix of the disciples and, and people who were believers, weren't yet believers, curious, not curious. Um, think of it as, as people in general. And so knowing that, we can now begin to say, okay, what does this parable have for us? And so our first principle of stewardship is God owns everything, I own nothing. God owns everything, I own nothing. Looking at the the first two verses here, it says, the master called the servants and he entrusted to them his own property. So it wasn't like, 
here's a little bit of mine, here's a little bit of yours, or here's some of my stuff, you can keep some, I can keep some, we'll split it 50-50 or something like that. No, it was, here, I'm leaving, and I'm entrusting you with these things, and when I come back, I'm going to see what you did with it, and I expect all of that back to me too. So it wasn't like, let's split it or anything like that. It, everything started was uh, the master's or is God's, and everything in the end will be the master's, and everything in the end will be God's too. And so for us, I want us to stop and think, okay, what has God entrusted to me? Normally people uh, say it or explain it as time, treasure, and talents. I have no idea where that originally started a long time ago. Just know it's not uh, original to me. So no credit to me. Time is kind of the one, one big category we can, or the first big category we can think through. Right near, right here, right now, Jesus has yet to come back. And because you're here, you are alive. You have time left on this earth, and you get to decide what am I going to do with each and every moment. By treasure, I mean pretty much all of the, the stuff. So obviously treasure includes your, your money, your finances, but it also includes things like your house and your cars and your groceries and your um, beds and your TVs and whatever else on and on and on that you have. We uh, here in America have no lack of stuff that we need to steward right. But I, I'd also think of uh, things we wouldn't traditionally call treasures or, or stuff, things like um, your health or, or you, you have a, a body or uh, the planet. And, and so I'm kind of challenging us to think beyond just money and stuff, but to all the, all the different things that God has given me. So time and treasure and then talent. So again, talent could be you're good with computers or technology. It could be obvious things like construction. It could be mundane things that we don't even think about or we don't stop to be thankful for. I can walk. I can carry stuff. I can talk to people. Those are gifts that I can use to serve the kingdom or serve Jesus. Now, I like time, treasure, and talents because of the T alliteration. It makes it easy to remember. They're nice little categories. I don't love it because the talents... We're talking about just now, and the way we normally use the word talent is not the same way the parable is using the word talent. So when I said talent just now, I was talking about skills. But when the master left on the journey, he wasn't like, you get five skills and you get two skills, now go get some more skills, right? Talent in, in this time was a weight. They used it to weigh uh, like precious metals, like gold, silver, bronze, and then they would use those as, um, for exchanging, doing commerce, different things like that. So we don't know what, what sort of uh, precious metal exactly these talents were or anything like that. Uh, it might be most helpful for you to think of them as just bags of money, and depending on your translation, it might even translate it that way just uh, for clarity, because uh, no one has, uh, for a long, long time, used a talent as a way of, of trading in this way. So you can think of it as bags of money. So it's, it's a fairly large sum that these servants are giving, getting. It's not like millions and billions of dollars worth, but it's also um, a significant amount. So think of it as, uh, not that they're getting skills, but bags of money or, or a certain lump sum of money. So 
how does knowing that everything I have is from God and, and is God's help me? Why does it matter? Well, one, I think it should humble us. I think knowing that should humble us. I think we might be tempted to say, or we see in the world a lot, uh, people saying, look at this nice life I've, I've built for myself or built for my family. Or, I don't think it's uh, culturally acceptable to look down on people who have less than you, but I think almost sometimes it's almost acceptable to, to look down people who are less talented than you or have less skills than you. But, and, and again, ultimately, it's, it's good that you provide for your family, and, and that's, a, that's a good thing. But if everything you have is from, from God, including your stuff and, and your talent, then there's no room to say, well, I'm, I'm better than so-and-so because look how good I am at my job, or look how much more godly I, I am. Not that we would ever do that, church, but look, you know, look how much more holy I am, look how much more stuff I have. We have no room to say any of those things because ultimately all of those things are from God and are God's and will be returned to God. So it should humble us, should also orient us. So it's none of this stuff is mine, and hopefully this isn't news to you, but, but one day you will die, unless Jesus comes back first, and you won't be able to take that stuff with you, <laughs> then let's not get too caught up in this stuff, which, again, our, the, our natural tendency or our culture is so uh, prone to do kind of this keep, it, keep up with the Joneses kind of vibe. I got to have the, the biggest, newest house, car, iPhone, whatever that thing is, there's kind of this pressure of, uh, I need to have all these nice things. But the point is, <laughs> that stuff isn't yours anyway, and that stuff won't satisfy. And so, can we use this stuff instead, or I'll find more satisfaction in, or God has designed me to, instead use those things for his glory, for his kingdom, and that's where I'll actually find joy. In other words, let's not produce things for this earth where uh, we'll be for a little bit and then we'll go away. Let's produce things that matter or, or heavenly treasures, things that matter in eternity, where again, you'll spend eternity. Jesus talks about this explicitly in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, it's fine to have those things. I can, I can think of, you could be a good steward and still have a nice house or a nice car or something like that. But again, let's not get caught up in that stuff. Let's look to what actually and truly will satisfy. And that's Jesus. Our, our lasting joy is found in, in using our stuff to, to please Christ, not to please ourselves. So again, everything we have is from God. That's our first principle. Second principle, God has given me responsibility over everything I have, and I can choose whether or not to use it to please God. He's given me responsibility over everything, and I get to choose, what do I do with it? Do I use it to please God, 
or for something else. In this story, we see the three servants are left with a different number of talents. Each five-talent man and two-talent man went and used those gifts and produced more. And then you have one-talent man, which sounds like a, like a bad superhero name or something. One-talent man didn't use what he was given and instead buried it in the, in the ground. And you can see the master wasn't a great, wasn't a big fan of that plan. Didn't, didn't love that. And the servants knew and kind of implicitly and kind of the main point of the parable or one of the main points of the parable would be how do you prepare for Jesus' coming back? You prepare by using what he's given you to please him. Again, that's kind of our big point this morning. So which one does your life more look like? The first two who are using what God has given them to please him or the third one who's, who's buried his talent in the, in, the, in the ground. So who knows what that uh, third servant was doing. And just kind of a, a fair warning to all of us, it's easy to be really busy without um, doing anything that produces uh, things that are valuable in the kingdom of heaven or things that matter in eternity. So again, are you, use, are you using what God has given you to advance his kingdom or are you using it to advance your own? I'm, I'm trying to organize my circumstances and, and such a way to get me the most of whatever my passions and pleasures are to throw back to last week. Am I, am I using what God has given me to get those things or get those idols, or am I using those things for God's glory? So let's, let's think through back through our, our three categories we were just talking about. I'm going to just ask some, some general questions, kind of heart check, life check, how am I doing in these areas. And my point is not to say that we're all doing terribly at this and everyone needs to do better, try harder. Actually, I think a lot of us are doing really, really well at stewarding what God has, has given us. Um, my, my wife and I were in a car accident recently and didn't even have to ask anyone if we, I could borrow a car. I was just kind of, you know, people are asking how my week was. I was like, uh, could have been better or, or something like that, right? Um, because we uh, had one of our, our cars totaled. And I've had, since then, several people just say, like, oh, well, we have a, a car you can borrow. Um, really practicing sacrificial love uh, for us. And we've talked about our generous giving in this church. And obviously, there's a lot of people, people serving this morning even and things like that. So a lot of us are doing this, and I, I would say as a, a church as a whole, we're, we're stewarding well. What I want to challenge us is to think through these things and say, is there a step of faithfulness for, for each of us here in this room where we, we love you enough to, to accept you where you're at, but love you enough also to say, like, now let's grow to become more like Christ together. So all that to say, again, let's think through our, our three categories. Time. How are you using your time? Are you, are you regularly serving in the, the church? Are you involved in a small group? Are you um, not just consuming when you're here on Sunday mornings, but are you also producing or, or giving or being a part of the work that's being done here? Are you spending enough time on your different responsibilities, whether it's work or being a spouse or a parent or whatever that looks like for your life? Or 
have those passions and pleasures, have those uh, maybe hobbies taking the place of those things that should be. So am I more concerned about mastering my golf game or, or mastering Call of Duty or mastering Netflix or maybe, hopefully I've offended everyone by now. Um, <laughs> am I more concerned about those things and, and doing those things than I am about being a good father or a good follower of Christ or a good church member or um, things like that? So it's time, closely related talents. Are you using your talents to serve others or just to serve yourself? Talking friends and family, neighbors, church family. Even though, even if you don't have the talent already, are you willing to learn? So um, just to be uh, totally honest with everyone, we could use more servants in almost every area on Sunday mornings. You kind of don't realize it because we, you know, you come and all the positions are filled and you have the worship team and the tech team and it's all happening, right? Um, and it's fine, right? Don't hear me say the church is burning, you know, this is an emergency or something like that. But we have approximately um, 300 regular tenders on kind of a, a weekly basis or regular basis. If all of those people were serving even just once a month, we would have more servants than we, we would know what to do with, right? <laughs> and that's just not the case. And so my goal here is not to say, if you're already serving, do more, even though God could, could be calling you to that. But if you're not serving, that you would participate in the joy that comes from participating in this kingdom work. So time, talent, and then treasure. The obvious one, are you, are you giving to the, the church in this ministries? Are you generous? Are you sacrificial in your giving? But it's also just how are you doing with your money? Are, you, um, are the types of things you're purchasing, would they please God? Are you spending them on your idols? Do you live within your means? Or is, again, is it a, a kind of keep up with the Joneses sort of thing? And, and as you're thinking about it, you're like, I'm in, I'm in financial trouble here. I, I need some help. And that's okay. You can come to us with those things, and we'd like to help you um, think through that or, or talk about a budget or different things like that. Whatever that is, are you stewarding those things, your, your physical stuff? Are you using them for God's glory too? So I want everyone in this, again, I want everyone in this room this morning to think, what does my next step of faithfulness look like? So don't say, oh, I got to do like a million things in each of these areas. I'm challenging us. What's one thing in one of these areas that would be a step of growth for you? What would be a step of faithfulness look like for you this week? So we've been given everything by God, and I have a choice whether to use that to please him or not. Our third principle is Jesus could come back at any time. Looking at verse 19, Jesus could come back at any time. It seems like every few years there's a book coming out that says something to the effect of, I have predicted when the end of the world is, or I've predicted where Jesus, when Jesus is coming back. Especially popular around Y2K, because that was, yeah, that was the time. And then I had almost forgotten about this until I was thinking about this sermon. December 21st, 2012, right? The Mayan calendar was supposed to end, and it was like, these guys have got to figure it out. Like, this is the day the world is ending. And there's all, all sorts of other books besides that. And this all happens in spite of or despite of the Bible telling us multiple times of you don't know when Jesus is coming back. And he could come back at 
any time. And this story, all we're told is the master is going on a journey. Um, and in those days, journeys were a little different than journeys today. Today, you, you know, if you're flying somewhere, you have your itinerary, and it says that at exactly 6.57, this plane is taking off, and you'll return on Thursday at, at 3.12 in the afternoon. Right? You pretty much know the exact moment uh, you're getting there. If you're driving, your GPS will tell you it takes eight hours and 12 minutes to get from, from here to where you're going. And, if, and then you drive kind of fast and to see how many minutes you can shave off from that time. But pretty much you know when you're going to get there, right? <laughs> Not so in, in Jesus' day in the ancient Near East, right? No cars, no airplanes. You're either uh, traveling by boat or by foot. And it takes a long time. And that culture also wasn't nearly as kind of businessy or, or precise as ours, right? If I'm visiting my family, I'm telling them, I'm going to stay with you for five days, and I'm leaving on this morning, and then we'll see you next time. But in those days, whether you're traveling for business or to visit family or whatever, it was more like, I'm going to go do business, and then when my business is done, I'm going to come back. Or I'm going to visit my family, and then when we're done, I'm, I'm going to come back. You wouldn't know exactly when you were going to come back. And then things... Circumstances like weather or other things would make a bigger impact on your uh, time travel, time travel, <laughs> the time it would take to travel in those days. So the point is, the servants didn't know, and we won't know when Jesus is coming back. And Jesus just finished talking about this more explicitly in the previous chapter in Matthew 24. I'm looking at uh, starting in verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. So it's talking about Jesus coming back. Concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Skip ahead, uh, just for time, to verse 42. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you wouldn't expect. Therefore, for us, like the, the master of the house expecting the thief, like the servants waiting for their master to return, let's be ready and have an urgency about pleasing Christ. So we can sit and think about this is that step of faithfulness I want to take and uh, this would be uh, really good and, and helpful and it would be a step of growth for me all day and not do anything about it. And the point is Jesus could come back and call you into account today and there should be a sense of urgency that accompanies it. Like make this a priority. Don't delay. Do it Today, I can resist uh, saying that. Don't delay, do it today. Jesus could come back at any time. Finally, the fourth principle, when he does return, when Jesus does come back, I will be called into account for what I did with everything God gave me. When Jesus does come back, I will be called into account for what I did with everything God gave me. The whole rest of the parable, I'm looking at verses 20 through 30 here, the whole rest of this parable, a majority of it, is about what happens once the master comes back. There's an account that each servant has to give. If 
five-talent man comes in, and he, he says, you gave me five talents, I produced five talents more. Uh, servant is, master says to the servant, well done, good and faithful servant, put you in charge of little, here's a lot more. Two-talent guy comes in, says the same thing, and gets the same response. And then we get to verse 24, this part about the wicked, lazy slave. And the, the sermon begins his explanation by saying he was afraid. It seems afraid of, of losing the talent the master gave him and, and his master's response or something like that. And so he says, um, I, I didn't produce anything, but I, I have what you gave me here. Have, have what is yours. And then the, the master responds with kind of a question mark and the exchange is a little strange because, like we said, God is the master and we know God wouldn't say, well, I, I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Looking at verse 26. I don't think God is saying uh, that. Like, ultimately, God is the one who sows and gathers and scatters. I think what, it, what is kind of going on here is, is the master is saying, if, if servant, if you genuinely believe this about me, what you're saying... This is not how you would have responded. You would have acted differently than just burying your talent in, in the ground. If you were so afraid of losing it, and that was really your thing, why didn't you at least put it in the bank, and then you could have earned interest, and I wouldn't have lost it, and there would have at least been a little bit of growth, but you didn't. And so a few lessons for, for us from this is, one, don't be so afraid of losing what God has given you. Again, so, don't be so caught up in the, the things in and of themselves of I'm, I'm finding my security in this thing or I'm finding my joy in this thing, that you're afraid to lose what God has given you. Second, don't think just retaining what God has given you is enough. So it's not just enough that... God, you gave me all these things, and I still have those things. Here, have them back. No, God expects you to grow what you've been given. And then three, the blessings of faithfulness are great, and the, the consequences of not doing so are dire. So for the, the faithful, just like uh, the talent, the one talent is given to the one with, who had ten already, in the kingdom of heaven, the faithful will be given abundantly. Or in other words, and, and maybe here's something that's countercultural or certainly something that was challenging for me, the reward for your faithfulness, the reward for your good stewardship is more to be faithful over or more to be responsible over or more to steward. So I'm not saying, don't hear me say this, if you're good, use your money well or steward your money well, God will make you rich. No, it could be, well, you, you, you're steward and faithful money well. How do you, can you steward and faithful being poor well? Right? That could be your, your more. So I'm not saying God is going to make you rich if you're a good steward. But I am saying that the reward of good stewardship is more responsibility. So I won't, I won't put this on you, but I will put it on myself. When I, I talked about last week that I love ease and comfort. Responsibility is the opposite of ease and comfortable, especially more responsibility. It's uncomfortable. Uh, it's difficult. It takes more effort, right? So when I hear that my reward for being a good steward and, and being responsible with what God's given is more responsibility, my first inclination is like, ah, like, 
I don't want that. Where's the, the ease and comfort reward, right? The reward for our good stewardship is more stewardship, and that is a blessing. And so I need to, to rewire my thinking of responsibility is not a burden, it's a blessing. That's the reward of faithfulness. What happens to the, the unfaithful? What happened to uh, this servant, the one talent man who buried his talent? Um, looking at verse 30, he's thrown into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what it's called in the parable. We would just call it hell, to be, to be blunt about it, right? We would call that hell. There's a place of eternal punishment. And Pastor Dave and I don't come up here every week and go, death comes unexpectedly. You should be ready. There's, if you don't put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can expect eternal punishment after you die or when you're called into account when Jesus comes back. But it is true, right? And I think it is important for us to, to look at and see um, Again, we don't need to make that the only thing we talk about, but it's important for us to talk about at some points, and it's important for us to see so that we can be thankful for, so that we can see what Jesus died for, so that we can see what we were saved from. If Jesus didn't save us from the punishment that we deserve, and it is this kind of terrible, horrible thing that you should want to avoid, then it makes the cross and it makes heaven seem like, meh. Less than it is, right? It's like, that's fine. And maybe familiarity can get us to this place of like, yeah. But again, it's something to be excited about. This is what I deserve. This is where I, I am supposed to go. This is what I'm supposed to experience. But because Jesus died for me, I don't have to. And you might say, Jeff, it sounds like um, putting my faith and trust in Jesus isn't enough. It sounds like it's faith and trust in Jesus plus... I'm supposed to be a good steward. And that's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, what I am saying is someone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus, who has that new heart we were talking about last week, will, out of the thankfulness of what Jesus did for them, want to use what they have for God's glory, want to use what God has given them to please God and not to please themselves because they've tasted and experienced the joy that comes from and can only come from God. The truth of the matter is, none of us, before we were saved or after we're saved in this life, are the perfect servant. We always fall short. And that's why Jesus had to die for us. He, was, he came down and lived the life we couldn't. He was the perfect servant. The only one to ever live who used everything God had given him for God, to please God, for God's glory. And he did that so that his righteousness could be imparted on us, so that when we do appear before the judgment seat of Christ, he can see not our own deeds and our own faithfulness or lack of faithfulness, but Jesus' perfect life, his perfect righteousness, and that can be imparted on us. Now, there is uh, still some sort of reward for faithfulness for believers uh, after we're saved, we don't have time to talk about this morning, but we can't even do it without being saved first. Right? We can't even, we talked about this last week too, can't even get into the game of stewardship, of using what we have to please Christ if 
we're not first saved. You can't uh, begin to want to please Christ without first uh, trusting in Christ for your salvation. So first question for everyone here, are you saved? Have you done that? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? I know we offer that uh, pretty much every week, but I, I want to give a little urgency to it from what we talked about today, right? Jesus could call you into account today. And so if you're kind of waffling about it, kind of thinking about it, I'd urge you to make that choice to put your faith and trust in Jesus today. Don't delay, do it today. Second, brothers and sisters in Christ, how are you using what God has given you? How are you using what God has given you? Of the many gifts we've all been given, here are two I want us to think about as we close. Because we are believers, we know the gospel. We know what Jesus has, has done for us. We can share that with others. And we have a testimony of God working and changing our hearts to bring us to that point and how he's worked and changed in our lives and, and worked in our lives since then. And my prayer for, for us this year, both as individuals, and as a church, as City on a Hill in 2022, is that we would use those gifts especially to bring a bit of God's kingdom here or, or push back the darkness here in Dane County. And again, through, through sharing those gifts with people, that many, many more people would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today that we, we can gather here together. You've given us so much to steward, and we, we fall short on our own. <clears throat> we can't do it on our own. It's, it's not a matter of of do better, try harder. We need to uh, lean into you and lean into what you've done for us. And then out of a, a thankful heart to produce that. And so pray that you'd help us to be thankful. Help us to, to, to meditate and think on what you've done for us. Help us to meditate and, and uh, even, even beyond Jesus dying on the cross for us, uh, what you've um, given us. Pray that you'd help us to use those things for your glory. Help us to repent, repent. And I just admit even now at this point, I and we have all fallen short of, of using what you've given us for your glory. And, and so often I'm tempted and we're tempted to, to use those things for ourselves. Use those things on, on idols instead of for you. I pray that you'd help us purify our hearts. Help us to, to want to use everything. Help us to experience the, the everlasting joy that's only found in you. We pray all these things in the name of your Son. Amen.